Hey, well, welcome again, and good morning. Thanks for being here with us. I hope you had a good Christmas. I know we did, though it was one kind of plagued with sickness in the family. I know we have a lot of families away sick right now and struggling with that, so we continue to pray for each other uh, as we get well and enjoy the rest of the holiday season. Uh, so I don't know if you knew it, but New Year's is coming up. Had you guys heard about that? Uh, we are about to usher in a new decade, right? 2020 is on the way. And as I was thinking about a new year and what is to come, I was remembering back to the year 1999. Do you remember what was happening late in 1999 as the year 2000 was approaching? Some people were calling it Y2K, and there was these doomsday predictions. You see, what, it is, what had happened was the computers um, that had been invented in the 1900s uh, were often programmed, the, the software that they were on, were often programmed instead of a four-digit date to use just the last two digits. So it was the year 99, according to many computers. The trick was going to be when 2000 came, they were going to think it was year zero, and how was a computer going to perceive this? And so there was like professional predictions, uh, national news about the stock markets crashing and runs on bank and running out of cash at our banks. There was fear that if uh, the computer stopped functioning, there'd be sort of shortages on food and heat and money and lawlessness would erupt throughout the world. Do you remember these predictions? That was a pretty exciting uh, season leading up to uh, a new millennia, right? And then, yeah, and Jesus was coming. I mean, there was all sorts of predictions about what was going to happen, but it was the end of the world. And then I remember uh, New Year's Eve, 99, ushering in 2000. It was just quite uneventful, right? The, the ball dropped and we all celebrated a new year. Well, here we are 20 years later celebrating a new year and a new decade. And so today I want to talk about um, what it looks like to usher in a new year. I want to do it ahead of time that we have some time to reflect leading up to New Year's this week. So um, has, anyone, uh, is, has anyone started making New Year's resolutions yet, thinking through what do you want to do? Some of us do that. Some of us don't. Some of us uh, on January 1st are incredibly invigorated by this new idea, new rhythm for life in the new year. And then by January 5th, have pretty much forgotten it completely, right? We, we all do this a little bit differently. Um, but New Year's resolutions are sometimes a thing, and I'd encourage you to go ahead and think about that. Make some commitments in the new year. But today I want to talk about ancient truths in a new year, in a new decade. As we reflect upon the year that's been and the year that's coming, I want to, I want to take us back to the ancient truths um, that might speak into the new year that we have. Have you ever had this experience where you rediscover something that you loved? Right? It might be a hobby that you used to um, take part in. It might be your favorite movie that you hadn't seen in forever. But that moment where you re-realize something that you love so much. Uh, we had this experience on Christmas Day. It looked something like this. Do you remember pogo sticks? Oh my goodness, they were the best. So our kids got pogo sticks, and we let them try it for just a minute, and they were terrible at it. So the adults took them and started playing with them. And my brother and I had a pogo war, uh, which, by the way, I won. Now, 
like on any um, scoring drive, there's an automatic booth review. There was a claim that I hit him in the chin with my shoulder. Um, but upon the booth review, there, I just don't think there was conclusive evidence. What do you think? Inconclusive evidence, so I have declared myself the winner of that pogo battle uh, in the end. We, we rediscovered something that we love, right? Kind of that passion and excitement. Okay, thank you for taking that off the screen. If it stayed up there for a long time, it would be kind of awkward. Um, so uh, we rediscovered something that we love, and I want to invite us to consider that today in our faith journeys, to rediscover something that we love in life and to lean into it, um, to dig into it a little bit more. So in the Jewish world, um, they had and have uh, many festivals. They have um, these kind of mileposts in their year in which they remember and they commemorate incredible things that had happened in their lives, incredible things that God has, had done in their nation. And so they had um, some six or eight feasts that they would partake in each year. Some of them are familiar, uh, like Passover or Pentecost. Maybe we've heard of some of those terms. Uh, they also had a weekly rhythm of Sabbath in which they would remember a God who created and a God who declared it good and rested in his creation. And so they would take a day of rest each week. And then annually, they would have these huge feasts. And for a number of them, um, all the men of Israel would would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate these things. One that we've probably not heard much about, though, is the feast or the celebration of trumpets. Rosh Hashanah is the name of uh, this annual event for the Israelite people. And Rosh Hashanah was ushering in a new year, and it actually revolved around their crops, a new season of crops and all of that. Um, so it would be natural for them to bring the food offerings that they were commanded to bring and those sorts of things each year as they usher in a, a new year of harvest. And yet Rosh Hashanah had a much deeper meaning an experience for the people of Israel. You see, throughout Rosh Hashanah, over a, a day or a couple of days, um, a horn would blow, um, and different lengths of horn blows would indicate different things. Uh, but the long blow of the horn was an invitation for Israel to repent. Does that kind of sound like a bad word to any of us here today? To repent. Now, Sarah spoke on, her, on the subject of re repentance a few weeks ago, and you can go back and listen to that if you'd like to. So I'll be very brief on it. But, well, well repentance sometimes sounds like a kind of negative term to us. It's, in fact, biblically, a beautiful invitation to turn away from something in life and to turn attention towards God. So it's not just giving up. It's not just recognizing a wrong, which is part of it, uh, but it goes beyond that and says, in the place of what has been, I will turn my attention, my focus, my intentionality in life towards God. So at the Feast of Trumpets at Rosh Hashanah, Israel each year would hear this horn blast, and they would enter the season of repenting, of redirecting life, and attuning themselves back to God. So uh, the year would be ushered in with a new commitment to God. So, um, you know, uh, we're four years into our church planning journey, and a few years ago we decided we wanted to lean a little bit more deeply into this idea of belong, believe, become, uh, and in that order. So for a year we worked on um, rhythms of belonging, 
uh, for a year. We, uh, we launched our small groups that year and did all sorts of different things, trying to create a place of belonging, uh, both in this place and in our community. Um, and last year, this year that we're concluding, uh, we've been talking a lot more about belief. And today, as we read the text, we're going to get an opportunity to reflect a little bit more on what we believe and what it um, invites us towards in our lives. But in the year to come, uh, I guess that means this will be the year of becoming. Now, this is a little bit of an abstract one, right? Um, but the idea of becoming in the order of belong, believe, become relates to um, an invitation that as we put our faith in Jesus, God begins a beautiful transformational work in our lives that we would become the people that we were created to be, that God is at work in our lives, transforming us into something new. Now, when Jesus was on earth, uh, at 30 years old, he stepped into his role as a rabbi. Now, the rabbis were as revered as, revered as anyone in Israel. The rabbi would teach, he would go to the synagogues and he would teach the people and typically a rabbi would call disciples under himself to learn from him. And they would pick from the best of the best, the most elite, the most knowledgeable, the most trained people in Israel and it was impossible to receive this position of the disciple of a rabbi and have the potential to move up into the role of a rabbi. Nearly impossible, very, very few would ever get to a point they could even be considered. But Jesus, he operated a little bit differently. At 30 years old, he's walking down the shores of a lake, and he sees some fishermen out there, and he says, hey, come follow me, be my disciple. Fishermen, not the best of the best, not the most elite, those that have now left school and are working their family's business. Jesus says, come and follow me, be my disciple. And in the process of following a rabbi, um, there was, uh, you might, you might have heard this before, I, I've said it before, um, but there was this statement of blessing, uh, in, in Israel, and it was, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. And, and that was a statement of, like, goodwill towards that person, and it refers to the process of being a disciple, following your rabbi as he travels from town to town, as he teaches, as he engages in the work that he does. Jesus invited these men, come and follow me, and they were covered in the dust of their rabbi. As he walked down roads and he saw a vineyard, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is a lot like this. Right As he walked down the road and he saw hurting people and he reached out and he touched them and he healed them. And it was a dream of any disciple to know what their rabbi knew and to do what their rabbi did. Now, I think often in Western Christendom, in Protestant faith, uh, we lean pretty heavily into the knowledge aspect of Christianity and faith. We spend a lot of time debating and our theology. We spend a lot of time studying and we take a lot of pride in our rightness. What often divides us amongst the church is our different beliefs and understandings and interpretation in scripture. We lean heavily into the knowledge aspect and we hold that at very high value. Sometimes to the extent that we lose sight of the fact that the knowledge is meant to inspire a way of being, a way of living, right? That we would not only know the things that Jesus knew as we follow in his footsteps, but that we would begin to do the things that Jesus did. That is the invitation of discipleship, not just for the 12 that he called, but for those of us today that follow Jesus.
So I want to look at a story today in Acts chapter 8 as we consider a new year, as we reflect upon what, what would it look like to engage more deeply, take a next step in my faith journey. And in this story, we will encounter um, two primary characters, uh, a man named Philip and an Ethiopian man. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way, uh, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man was in charge of all the treasuries of the queen of Ethiopia. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? Can you imagine being an Ethiopian man? Uh, not knowing yet the story of Jesus and trying to imagine what in the world the prophet Isaiah was speaking of. And yet it's a prophecy speaking of Jesus and the way he would be crucified. And so the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. They traveled along the road. Um, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. After that, Philip went to other towns and other places uh, preaching the word. So here's our text. We have two characters, a man named Philip, um, an evangelist, a a teacher, a preacher in the early church. This is Acts chapter 8, and Acts records the story after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection of the Holy Spirit coming, the beginning of the church, and then the spread of the church throughout the world. And so Philip is one of these people out telling the good news of Jesus, getting to experience groundbreaking new revelations and things happening in the story of God's work in the world. And we have an Ethiopian eunuch. So uh, an Ethiopian man, um, a man from Ethiopia who was of high stature, of high rank in his society, and yet he was a eunuch, which meant his position in life came at a great cost to him. Right, And some eunuchs uh, were um, enslaved and forced into this role, and some chose this position in life. And we don't know the details of this eunuch's story. But we do know this about him. Uh, he had come to know something about God. 
And he had some scripture with him. He had some of the prophet's writings with him. And in fact, he was so curious by this God that he traveled uh, to Jerusalem. He traveled to Israel that he could worship this God that he had come to know. Now, at this point, the nation of Israel has been overrun by other nations, and they have been dispersed throughout the nations. So it's not unlikely that he has come in contact with some Israelite people that told him about this God, and he comes curious to Israel. Now, here's the interesting thing. As a foreigner, he would not be invited into the inner circle of the temple. He would not be invited into the central worship of the temple. Furthermore, as a eunuch, he could not be invited into the most sacred places or the places of worship that the Israelites would experience. And so, though we don't get to read too much about his experience or anything about his experience in Jerusalem, I can only imagine this. He went to worship a God that he had some reverence for, was somewhat excluded when he arrived to where he was to worship God. And here we see him leaving Jerusalem with questions unanswered and still quite unaware of what God was doing in the world. Have you ever been in that place that I'm imagining he is in right here in this chariot? That place where you've tried to pursue God or enter into a place of faith and just felt on the outside I remember um, a number of years ago, I I wanted to get more serious about about mountain biking. And so I joined a local club, and they had like seven races uh, in in their season or eight races in their season. And I showed up to the first one, and I unloaded my bike, and you get up to the gate, and it was riding up uh, Badger Mountain. It was an uphill climb on just single track. And um, and I got up there, and I registered, and they said, um, what's your time? I had to give an estimate so they could put people out in a proper order. And... Um, and I said, I have no clue. I've never ridden up this. I've never ridden in a club like this. I said, I, I can't imagine I'm going to be uh, at the top of the pack. So um, so they put me out um, very last, very last. And so I spent the entire ride uh, held up by and having people pull over while I passed, right? So the next year, I showed up at the same event. By the way, I didn't have a stellar season that season. Uh, there was this, what I'm describing is just a sense of I'm not invited in to be a part of this, and that was kind of my experience the first season. The second season, I get to that same race, the first race of the year, and I told them my time from last year. I ended up going out third in the entire group, and I spent the entire time pulling over and stopping to let the fast riders, because apparently you're supposed to sandbag so that you don't end up in front of faster people. I had no clue of the rules, and I was like, okay, I'm done with this. Forget uh, physical activity, bike riding, health of any kind. I just could care less at this point, and I quit the club. It's like, how? but have you ever been a part of one of those circles where I desire to be in but for whatever reason, I feel entirely left out. Sadly, it happens in our faith communities and our churches as well. I believe it was happening in the life of this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. He leaves Jerusalem without, um, without any further understanding or any, uh, um, any clarity on this God or further ability to worship him. And along comes Philip. And Philip tells him, what did it call it? The good news 
about Jesus. I love this term. Maybe it gets overused, and maybe we're kind of callous to it at some time, but he said, hey, there, I've got good news for you. This story of a person being killed before he had any descendants and being taken to slaughter, he, he says, this is actually really good news, and let me tell you about it. So he unrolls the gospel message to this Ethiopian eunuch, and I love this man's response. They're in their chariot, and he looks out to the side, and he says, oh my goodness, look, there's some water. Let's do it. I am ready to be baptized. Let me just briefly mention baptism uh, so we have some clarity on the subject. Uh, baptism is a celebration of God's saving and transformational work in our lives. In baptism, we remember um, the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. As Romans 6 says, we kind of experience a similar thing in baptism as we're dunked under the waters of baptism as Jesus was buried and then rise again to new life. Scripture says that God is creating in us a new being, a new person. And so baptism is this way that we get to celebrate this newness that God is accomplishing in our lives. And so this Ethiopian man, having just heard the news about Jesus, says in this very moment, I am ready and I want to take that next step. I love this man's story. Um, what is it that precipitated um uh, his change, this new direction in life? Well, it was a few things. It began with his reading. It began with his pursuit, right, of God, his trip to Jerusalem, his reading of Scripture. It begins with his pursuit saying, I, I'm beginning to believe, and I want to go further. I want to know more. And it continued with the um, with believers coming alongside him and helping him understand the things that were happening uh, it developed in very quickly in his life into a conviction to engage this new life, and immediately we see him taking action, saying, today's the day. Hey, there happens to be water right here. Let's take the next step. Let's go, and let's do this. So as we begin to reflect and, and conclude today, um, what what are we invited to in the new year? Uh, it's great if we make resolutions about health and about different things in life. But what I want to invite us to consider is what would it look like to take that next step in my faith journey? To say in 2020, I want to engage in new ways. Or I want to rekindle that passion that I once had. Or for some of us, I want to take that first step. I want to take a step towards God. I want to learn more. I want to experience more. I want to make a commitment to faith. Each of us find ourselves in different places, so I can't speak to one formula that will work for all of us. Uh, but I want to explore for just a minute what it might look like to commit in this new year. I want to approach a God who has come near to me. I want to take a next step in that faith journey. You know, as I zoom out and I think about our church, um, there's uh, some uh, God's church that he is forming here, this community. Um, I I'm excited for the year to come. Uh, we are looking intently at new facilities, be that um, build or purchase or lease. Um, God, uh, we are so excited and curious to where and what God is inviting us to, to what doors will be open, and to that next step and that next phase in the journey. But I think more significant in the year to come for us as a people um, is uh, the word that comes to mind is connectivity. 
And that refers both to connections within as our small groups continue to thrive. Uh, we're bringing on in the new year um, a part-time staff person uh, who's going to work specifically in connections, and I'm incredibly excited. We'll roll. That's just a little tease. I'm not going to tell you any more right now. But I'll tell you more uh, in the weeks to come as we can announce uh, that that new staff member. Um, so, uh, but we're leaning into connectivity in the year to come. That re- represents connectivity amongst people. It represents connectivity with God, and it represents connectivity in our community. What does it look like to engage in relevant ways in the community in which God has planted us? What does it look like to engage in significant ways in the lives of the people that God has placed us in proximity with? So as a church, that's kind of what I'm dreaming about and praying about. I hope you'll dream and pray with us about that. But as an individual, I wonder what it looks like to say, in the year to come, here's what I dream of. You know, I think these sort of convictions or these sorts of commitments, uh, New Year's resolutions and all that, uh, often um, I make them, I'll speak for myself, in fairly superficial ways. And I want to ask us today, in your spiritual relationship with God, in, in your spiritual walk, or in your relationship with God, like, what is your heart's desire? This is a question I'd encourage you to ponder over the next few days before the years, the new year comes. What is it that your heart desires? Is it a deeper relationship with God? Is it a deeper fellowship and Christian community? What is it that your heart is longing for? What has God been placing in your life, a conviction that he has been placing that leads us towards a commitment to say, this is how I want to further engage in my spiritual journey and my spiritual walk with God. And then having determined some sort of, um, some sort of desire of our heart, uh, choose small and consistent steps that can get us there. Right? Uh, I, y- y- the, the gym that I work out at is about to be overrun. Right? There won't be any available equipment in the place because at New Year's, we all say, I'm going to be healthier this year and we're going to get a gym membership. And um, some of us are smart enough not to sign up for the year plan, but just the month to month, knowing what's going to happen. But it's going to be overrun, right? Because people are going to say, I, I need to be healthier, so I guess I have to do it. These are decisions made out of kind of obligation or guilt often, as opposed to saying, this is my heart's desire. As opposed to taking uh, small steps towards very big goals that God will help us to accomplish. So the challenge today is to make a new commitment um, in our walk with Jesus. And not just in our knowledge and understanding, but in walking in the ways of Jesus. And I don't know exactly what that'll look like in your life, but it's possible some of us will decide um, to dedicate some time daily to our relationship with God. And that can look like a lot of different things. It can be time and prayer in which we both speak to God and listen to God. And it might just be 15 minutes in the morning or in the evening. But a new commitment to say, God, in my desire to be in deeper relationship with you, I'm just going to commit to spending some time with you. 
And for those of us that are new to that, that's going to feel a little bit strange, but it's a beautiful opportunity, and God shows up in those moments when we make ourselves available to us. Some of us might choose to read, like we see this Ethiopian guy doing. I don't get it all, but I'll engage conversation and come to understand more. We, we might choose to read in Scripture, or we might say, I want to read books about faith and Christianity, and I want to know more. So every other month, I'll read a book. Some of us might engage in different ways. We might make a decision to like engage the opportunities that come on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it might be a prayer saying, um, God, give me eyes to see needs. God, give me eyes to see people and courage then to engage. And whether or not we have all the solutions, a commitment to say, when I see, I will step towards instead of step away like I so often do in life. It might be a new commitment to serve with an organization or uh, to begin serving on a team at church or something like that. Whatever it is, I don't want to lock us into any one thing. Because my prayer is that each of us will spend some time in the next few days before the new year asking, uh, what is my heart's desire in my relationship with God? What does a next step look like in my life? Um, so in, for the next few minutes, we're gonna, we're gonna close out with communion. And communion, uh, was Jesus' invitation to his followers to each time they broke bread, and each time they had this grape juice or the wine that was on the table as he uh, initiated this, each time they have this bread and this juice that they would remember him and his sacrifice, his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. Communion is a time of reflection. It's a time in which we show appreciation to who Jesus is. And so as we reflect today upon Jesus who loved so deeply that he would give everything, And as we take this bread and dip it in the juice, let's remember um, that Jesus gave everything to invite us to so much more than we could have known on our own. I wonder what 2020 will look like for us as a people, for us individually. What will it look like? And my prayer is that as we take communion today, we can reflect and ask questions of, God, what is that next step in my journey towards nearness to you? So let's pray. God, thank you that you have come near, that we don't have to travel a long ways to take that next step, but God, that you are present. Thank you for your spirit in our lives. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. As we take communion, remind us of the great love, the depth of love demonstrated in his life and his sacrifice. And God, if you would, um, give us desire, passion, courage to take a next step. God, give us eyes to see. Will you, uh, for me, for some of us, God, just plant in the back of our minds um, a, a passion, a, a new vision for a next step in life, in our walk with you. God, thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.
So as Chris and Giovanna um, play for us, you're welcome. Uh, let's let, we'll all stand up in just a moment, and if you'd like to take communion to today, you're in, invited to. Um, you certainly don't need to. That's your choice. Uh, we'll take communion, and as we finish that up, we'll get to stay standing, and we'll finish in a song, and uh, and we'll close out at the end of that. Let's take a moment to dip the bread in the juice to remember Jesus' sacrifice as love, and to consider what might a next step in my faith journey look like. Well, thank you um, for spending this time with us today, that we can reflect about uh, upon what Jesus has done, what God has done, what the Spirit is doing in our lives, and have opportunity to consider, what does it look like to lean into the way of Jesus, to take a next step in my faith journey, and to begin to not just know more of God, but to live a little bit more in the ways of Jesus. Let me say, it's not an obligation. It's nothing we're forcing or pressuring upon you, but it's an invitation to a new way of life, to new life, to new experience of what God is doing in the world, and to new participation in his beautiful plan. I'll close today with just these few words. So may we know more of God in the year to come. And may we engage intentionally in our relationship with him. And may, we, may we walk more fully in the ways of Jesus. Have a blessed week.